Welcome to episode number 39 of Bleeding Blue, and today we have a special, special episode with Dan Schneier, who is a reporter for the Giants, or if he's a reporter, he's an analyst, he does so much stuff for the Giants. You know him on Big Blue Banter, you follow him on Twitter, 24-7 Sports, CBS Sports, we talk about all that stuff, but you know him and you love him, and we have a great conversation david we actually just finished up with that conversation so how do you think it went i think it went pretty well nice guy dan never talked to him before uh only interacted with him on twitter here and there and yeah i, I think it went pretty well he has had some really good insights just a very different way of looking at uh the game that we follow so closely it was, it was it's he's interesting to talk to so if you're a first-time listener, this is a podcast called Bleeding Blue. We do a podcast on the Evil Empire Yankees and the New York Football Giants. If you like us, if you like what you hear, you can follow us on SoundCloud and the Apple Podcasts app. Um, we're currently running a little bit of a contest, which the prize and everything will be pr- uh, presented eventually, that if you leave a five-star rating, that's funny. If you leave a five-star rating, which makes me laugh, um, you will be in the running for some sort of prize that is going to be coming in the future. Um, we What we did for the Yankees, David, is you have to leave a five-star rating for which Yankee would be your Valentine or which New York Yankee would you go out with on a night in the town. So that's – and tell us why. So that's what we were doing there. Um, Bleeding Blue, we just released an article on our website saying that we need to be – less optimistic about the Giants drafting a quarterback or finding another answer at quarterback this offseason. I gave three reasons why. Even though I am a person who believes that we should move on from Eli, I believe we need to temper our expectations. And David, you would agree with that. Absolutely. I mean, all right, let me put something to bed really quick, though. This nonsense of the Giants finding, and I think we I addressed this in an episode a little while ago, this nonsense about the Giants finding a, a quote-unquote bridge quarterback is the dumbest thing I've ever heard on the – like, ever. You know, the talk, the talk about Nick Foles, that's kind of gone to bed now. Teddy talk Bridgewater. about Teddy Bridgewater. It's ridiculous. That, that's not happening. They're not, they are not going to go out and spend more money on a quarterback right now who they don't believe is going to be a long-term solution. It's dumb. It's stupid. I don't want to hear it anymore. So, Justin, I don't, I don't – I don't want you to say anything about it, all right? I don't want to hear anything from you about it because I guarantee you, you're wrong. No, I, I just all, – all I said is that we, we should temper our, our expectations. No, absolutely. And, and that's exactly – yeah. As far as the draft goes, I agree with you. We should. I tend to agree with you. I think we need to – the, the next quarterback needs to be found. Does he exist in this draft? I would lend to say he does. I'm a believer in Dwayne Haskins. That being said, I don't think he'll be. I don't think he's going to be there by the time the Giants come around, and I don't think the Giants should be trading it, trading all the way up to get him. If the deal's there, the deal's there. If it's not, it's not. I think the Giants coming into this draft want to draft a quarterback. I just don't know if it's going to be possible. But my father has a saying, and that saying is, "It's good to want." Is that it? There's no. There's no second part of that saying. That's it. It's good to want. It's better to have. It's better to have, but it's but it's 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 good to want. So, so that's so this is this is an ongoing conversation that's that can be had for a long, long time, at least up until April. So, um, but we have some other news besides just kind of like Eli rumors of him starting, and then Eli opinions. Um, Scott Simonson signed today for a one-year deal. Exciting. Yeah, uh, I mean, 
depends how closely you followed this this 2018 season as as it went towards the end. But I'm actually kind of pretty excited about the Simonson signing because as the year went on, he was used more. He he was utilized, becoming more of a focal point. Um, now, personally, I am a big fan of Red Ellison ever since he came over um, from Minnesota, and I, I I fear that this this is a signal that we, we might be moving, you know we might be moving towards an Evan Ingram Scott Simonson pairing rather yeah, than yeah because Evan because the because the for the for the cap hit that Red Ellison has you have to ask yourself you know is that the value that he's really giving you right so Scott Simonson can he step in that spot fill that Red Ellison role even though I think Giants fans really wanted Elson to have a little bit more of a role, Ken Simonson step in there for a lot cheaper and can that money go elsewhere in terms of value? So if you're a fan of Rhett Elson and even I, even I think I had like is either his wife or his mom, like one of my tweets because I said that I liked him as a player. <laughs> so that was fun, but uh, sorry, bud, your future's not looking too great with the New York football giants. Um, OBJ trade rumors, David, uh, this is nonsense. Uh, tell us why you're. Don't even tell me why this is nonsense. But uh, it just seems to be a yearly thing where uh, people who old. It seems like older people, but not even older people. But I would say old school thinking people just like to get mad at a really talented football player. Hey, so, do me a favor. I want whoever's listening to this and is saying OBJ, OBJ needs to be traded. Oh, that OBJ, he's such a punk. Oh, that. Do me a favor, get in your car, get on a bus, get on a plane. I don't care how you do it, get there. Take a trip down I-80 West or, you know, right through the great state of Pennsylvania and stop in Pittsburgh and go find Antonio Brown. You won't because he's not there because that is a prima donna. Did you see the Instagram post that he made? Possibly. He had a meeting with uh, Rooney. And that meeting wound up he now this was so weird because he made this post. It was him and the owner arm in arm smiling for a picture. But then you see in the in the post, it says, oh, I had a great meeting with the Steelers ownership. We've decided that it's best to part ways. I'm like, holy shit. Like you just made a post celebrating that you want your time to come to an end in Pittsburgh not only just come to an end, but in the middle of your contract, so you want to get traded. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. He's arm-in-arm arm with the owner saying, oh, we had a conversation. I would definitely like to get traded. Listen to me, and, and i huge, huge fan of Antonio Brown. I think he is a phenomenal talent. I think he, you know, up until recently, I had every belief that he came to work every day, worked hard, was excellent at his craft. In my opinion, the second best wide receiver in the NFL. But I don't understand why OBJ is the one who gets the criticism. And and granted, I think Antonio Brown's picking up has picked up some of it recently. But we're mad at OBJ because he did nothing wrong. Tell me what OBJ has done wrong. Tell me why he needs to be traded. So you know that his his time in New York has been so toxic that he needs to be gone. Besides showing too much passion for wanting to play and win the game of football, which in on my opinion, team. which in my opinion, the giants need to show more of. And I think what you're about to say is on a team that is consistently losing yes. where there is now a losing culture with the New York football giants. God forbid somebody is upset about that. And God I want forbid you to he shows about, it. Yeah. I want you to think about if a guy like Antonio Brown or a guy like Des Bryant or a guy like now granted Des Bryant, 
caught a lot of flack throughout his career for these for this very issue. But think about think about those guys. I'm I'm trying to think of maybe one more. Um, I can't off the top of my head, but think about if one of these guys played for the Giants the last three years. Antonio Brown would be so out. He would be so checked out. He would, the, the knock on Odell Beckham is he gets so passionate in a game where the Giants come in at 4-10 and 10 out of the playoff picture. He comes in with so much passion that he picks up a personal foul. But also at the same time, the narrative is also that he doesn't want to win and he's all about me. He's all about me, 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 me. Yeah. Yeah. It makes no sense. So this is just a long way of saying the idea that Odell Beckham needs to be traded. Now, some people believe he should be traded for pure financial reasons, which I think is ludicrous because, I mean, A, we, we have the general, the general manager who has said you don't sign a guy to trade him. You don't, you don't sign a guy to trade All right, him Justin. In, easy, in his fake easy, Boston easy, accent. Easy. You don't sign you don't, a guy but, to trade him. But, the, but the, the point of that is correct. You don't sign a guy just to trade him. And I don't see what that actually buys you. I don't see what that actually allows you to gain. Um, and, I, and I think it's just people who want some, something to blame or something to put their hat on that the Giants have physically done. You know what I mean? I, I feel like the Giants are, are, have gotten and are going to get, as this free agency period goes on, um, they're going to get a lot of criticism for being 5-11 and 11 this past year and having, quote, done nothing. You know, I put that in air quotes because you got to fix something. Something has to happen. Well, yeah. what has to happen in this offseason is you, you franchise Landon Collins. So you lock him up for a little while, you know, hopefully work on a longer term deal. But you franchise Landon Collins. We'll, you know, we'll see how the draft plays out. But you, you build the draft. The Giants have nine picks this year. You pick nine players, see what they can bring you. Hope maybe five of them stick around. And or hopefully, you said with those, you said with those nine picks, what they hopefully can do is take some of those fourth round picks they have. I feel like they have a bazillion fourth round picks. You take some of those fourth round picks and you try to get second and th- more, uh, at yep. least one more another, second another, or another third guy, round picks. Another, another contributor to this year's team because the talent drop off from the first three rounds just to the fourth round, I feel is tremendous. So trying to get a third round pick is very, very huge. So. Um, David, any other final thoughts on some of the things that we talked about? Anything you want to say about Dan until we throw it to the interview? No, just if you came just for our lovely voices, please stick around for the next half an hour because I think our interview with Dan was really, was really, really refreshing. It was really nice. It was nice to hear someone else's voice on here other than just us. Wouldn't you agree, Justin? Uh, absolutely. And that's the whole point. That's the whole yeah. point. We gotta. This is the the cold stove season, so we gotta we gotta we gotta we gotta give some uh, refreshing new voices. So that's exactly what we're gonna do. Dan Schneier interview. We're gonna throw it away right now. Enjoy, everybody. All right. Welcome back, Bleeding Blue. It's been a while since we have had an interview, and this is our first Giants interview. 
with the one and only Dan Schneier. Dan, how you doing today? What's going on, Justin? Happy to be here and, and greet this podcast with hopefully some knowledge, but who knows? Who knows what I got in store today? And then, of course, David, double underscore, Powis is also here. Dave, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. I'm feeling great. Um, I'm really happy that we have somebody else with some knowledge finally today because I'm, I'm tired of just being of just being me. So I, 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 I appreciate um, Justin, you know, having two people coming at him with knowledge today. It, it will certainly make my life easier. Wow. So I appreciate it, Dan. Shots fired already. I got it. <laughs> I see what kind of podcast is going to be right now. <laughs> that's all. That's all this podcast is now. Now the reason why the reason why we kind of clash heads a lot, Dan, is because uh, Dave's a big Eli guy, and I'm uh, I'm and and, I, and if you know me, if you rec- kind of recognize me from Twitter and some of our interactions, I'm not exactly the biggest fan. So we uh, we have some pretty uh, pretty pretty intense conversations. Um, yeah, I'm this fan base quite like the Odell Beckham Jr. situation last offseason, but it appear, apparently it appears uh, Eli Manning is has split the fan base even even wider, and I get it. Um, this is, in my opinion, the greatest player to ever play for the Giants franchise, and I know some people will debate that and say Lawrence Taylor, but I believe that Eli Manning was more important to the franchise's success individually, and that's that's weird to say because I do think Taylor is the best player of all time, but that just goes to show how important it is, in my mind, to play uh, at the quarterback position. But, you know, there comes a time when you realize, that when you start to think, you know, can fans can fans separate the player they're seeing now with the player they remember? And that's, mm-hmm. kind, of, that's kind of, I think, where we're at with Eli Manning. So, Dan, we have you on here, not necessarily to talk Giants concretely, because, of course, you can – follow Dan. He writes for 24-7 Sports, CBS Sports. You can follow Dan on Twitter. Why don't you plug that really quick? Yeah, sure. Uh, you guys can find my work on Twitter at Dan Schneier NFL, D-A-N-S-C-H-N-E-I-E-R NFL. And if you want to actually read all my work, you can just head over to 247sports.com and click on the Giants tag or just download the CBS Sports app and hit the Giants as your favorite team. You'll see most of my content there as well. Awesome. Um, you also write for Pro Football Focus for fantasy football. Yes, sir. On the fantasy side, I cover uh, I cover fantasy for PFF for a long time. That's how I got my start in this. So, and of course, Big Blue Banter. If you want the best Giants podcast for delving into the X's and O's of the game, and in the words of Pat Kerwin, he had a book a few years ago to, called uh, "Take Your Eye Off the Ball." If you want kind of like that X's and O's analysis, Big Blue Banter, in my opinion. My humble opinion, it's it's the place to be. So if you want to find out, if you want to find out some, you know, Dan's opinions, all that stuff, you can follow him on Twitter, podcasts, writes a lot, awesome, awesome guy. And a lot of you will probably already know this because you're here and you're listening because you want to hear more about Dan. So what I want to do and what I what we really want to structure this interview is to be about you, get to know you more, your journey, um, maybe some more macro conversations on like maybe your opinions of football. Uh, maybe more of, of just as a sport and some other stuff like that. So um, first, 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 Dan, tell us about your journey as a media member in sports. Did you always want to do the type of work that you're doing, schooling help, you know, growing up? Uh, so tell, tell us a little bit about your, your journey in media. Yeah, Justin, I mean, I've always been interested in writing and sports has always been my passion, but it wasn't actually a, a route I decided to take once I 
uh, enrolled in college at the University of Madison, uh, Wisconsin-Madison, and I actually enrolled in the journalism program, but uh, there were two sides of it, the broadcast and print journalism side, and then the advertising media PR side. And I was always told, you know, you can't make a living in the broadcast print side anymore, um, which, you know, it may or may not be true in the long run, but we'll see. And, uh, you know, I went, decided to use that pressure and it shaped my decision to kind of go the advertising PR route. So got my four-year degree, graduated and jumped into the working world in advertising uh, at a video advertising agency. Um, and I was there for a year and I hated it. Um, it got to the point where I would wake up every day, just devastated to go to work, which is never a good feeling. And part of that was obviously, you know, influenced by the commute, which sucked. But, mm. you know, at the same time, it just wasn't for me. I didn't have a passion for advertising and video advertising. So meanwhile, around the same time, I started writing my own blog. And I eventually, uh, my blog, got, uh, you know, my work got picked up uh, basically, I guess the easiest way to say this is it got picked up by people who were in, who, well, I mean, let me, let me push back real quick. Cause I forgot an important part. Um, earlier in this, while I was still working at videology, the advertising company, uh, Chris Wesling, who used to be at Roto world. Um, I'm sure you guys are familiar with Roto world fantasy football website, yeah. put out a feeler on Twitter. Like, you know, we really are behind on our Roto world. Twitter account with social media. And so I just emailed him. I said, look, I can turn this account around immediately and I can get you know more followers, more interaction. Just give me a shot. I'll work for free. And that's what I did. I got started early at Roto World just doing social media behind the scenes. Wow. And eventually from that, I leveraged that into a position with Pro Football Focus. Tennessee obviously is with ESPN now. Um, and so I started working for Pro Football Focus where they really, the good thing about, the great thing about Pro Football Focus is they don't, you know, they're not worried too much about clicks and they're not worried too much about page views and they just want strong solid football analysis which is really what drove my passion for this career and so through that i was able to put together a lot of good work a lot of strong work doesn't have any crap in it you know no reports no speculation nothing like that um and from there while you know i was doing this while still working at videology and i started my own blog which was on the giants and on the nfl away from the fantasy side so eventually um there was a job opening at Fox Sports uh, to basically start by just doing, you know, email campaigns, daily email campaigns. And then from that, I, I got that gig. And from that, I leveraged that into a full time position writing for Fox Sports. And at the time, Fox Sports had a digital writing side. Um, this was about five or six years ago. And from that, I leveraged that into running a, a, a section of Fox Sports uh, online digital called Fanhood, which was basically I was in charge of 12 uh, NFL writers, two per, per, per division, and there was one of that for each sports division. Um, unfortunately, Fox Sports made the decision to pivot uh, to video and then get rid of their digital writing entirely. And around the same time, I actually considered it a blessing because only it a few months later, I got a chance to work for 24-7 sports. Mm. And when I applied, there were two openings. There was one to cover the Broncos and one to cover the Giants, and it felt just perfect for me to have an opportunity to cover the team that obviously I grew up following. And since then, it's been I've been with them for now three years, and I, I really enjoy this opportunity and what everything it's brought for me. And it's been interesting to see what happens when you go from following the team as a fan to covering the team, and just your how it affects you know how you see things and how you view view the games, even something as simple as that. So that's kind of where my journey led me, and that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, that's uh, that was actually going to be our next question about, uh, you know, were you a Giants fan growing up? And, you know, if not, what team did you root for? And it's so it's so funny hearing that, you know, you, you come from a background in advertising, yet you have this 
extensive, extensive knowledge. That's something that maybe I don't even feel like you hear players talk about. Um, d- like I said, delving into the X's and O's and the intricacies of the game that the average person just doesn't know. You know, again, taking your eye off the ball and seeing what's going on and not just seeing it, but knowing what's going on around just where the ball is going and how the game football is played. Y- your ability to see that is um, incredible, um, in my opinion. So, um, but yeah, uh, so you mentioned you you were a, you were a fan of growing up uh, of the Giants, right? Yep, grew up as a Giants fan. Who's your who's your favorite player growing up? Uh, I mean, my favorite player growing I was uh, growing up for most of the Eli Manning years, so I, I go with Eli Manning. Classic. I I, I love it. I love. It. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel I feel like we're all from like relatively that same the same uh, era of Giants teams. So I feel like I feel like anybody in this like generation of people is, is Eli Manning. He's got to be your favorite. Got to be. I mean, I'll always stand by, you know, where, where we're at with Eli now is a whole nother story, but I'll always stand by Eli could have actually been even a lot better with this franchise. Had they, you know, had they not run him into the ground with really bad drafting for 11 right. years mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, but yeah, drawing back to what you said earlier, actually, Justin, I did think what you mentioned was interesting and really what got me so, I guess, passionate about the NFL was two things. And you mentioned them both. And the first, or you mentioned one of the two, the first is the X's and O's of it. Because to me, football, you know, some people, football excites them because of fantasy or because of the drama and the storylines or the players they like to follow and, you know, become big fans of individually. But for me, it's always been about the fact that football is a chess game. It truly is. There's 11 players on both sides of the ball. They're both moving in different directions after the snap, before the snap. And really, it's there's so much more strategy than the average fan realizes and sometimes that average fan who doesn't maybe not, you know, is not accustomed to reading about or learning about that, that the strategy and the X's and O's and the chess match of the game, when they start to hear it and when they start to learn about it, they become addicted to it as well. And that's something I've noticed since I started covering this team. And that makes me, you know, that makes me truly happy when I see people interacting with me and asking me more about that and telling me things about, you know, the podcast that we do, Big Blue Banter, which is pretty much just a true X's and O's dive for the most part. Um, and then the second thing for me was always the salary cap because I think the NFL and obviously the NHL is similar in this way, but the NFL is a very unique league in the sense that it really takes a lot more strategy, in my opinion, to be a general manager because of the hard salary cap and because of how important the draft is. And there's seven rounds versus maybe two in the NBA and only one that really matters, only 10 picks sometimes that really matter in the NBA. Um, so for for me, those two things got me so involved and so passionate about the game. And I, I really enjoy when I connect with people who follow my work or who read my work or listen to the podcast and start to really enjoy that stuff. And, and maybe they hadn't before. I feel like this is a lot of question that reporters or analysts of a certain team get, especially when they grew up a fan of that team. How do you navigate and especially, especially covering Eli Manning and Eli Manning at this time, how do you navigate that fandom that you have or that you had growing up as a kid but then also navigating that, like, okay, this is my work. How do you navigate that? Those kind of those kind of feelings and those kind of roles in your life. Yeah, no doubt, it's a great question. For me, um, the minute I started covering this team, I kind of put the fandom aside uh, for for the most part. I mean, obviously, it's not that easy to do. But I believe that when you really look at it, there's a lot more reporters out there who are covering teams they used to be a fan of than than they'll admit, or than than they realize, or than you, re- and then most people realize. Um, but it, what I have noticed is two things. One, for starters, it's taken out, you know, I, I, I view covering these games and looking forward to these games during the week a lot differently than I used to. Um, I no longer really view them as a fan. But at the same time, 
I believe that part of the reason I've been able to build a strong following on Twitter um, and, you know, hopefully with our podcast, which continues to grow, is because I'm not the average uh, beat reporter, reporter or writer. And I don't believe that you have to be completely um, not passionate about what you're covering and try to be completely down the middle. I don't think that's the new age me. To me, that's not what fans want. To me, there's no, there's nothing really, t- really forcing me to go in that direction anymore. I, um, you know, I believe that, you know, it's traditionally speaking, most people are like, oh, you know, you should be 100% down the middle, but I'm fine getting passionate about some of the decisions this team makes uh, one way or another. And I believe that that's part of the reason I've been able to build a strong following. So that's kind of where I see it. You're talking about how difficult it can be to, to navigate the, you know, the fandom versus the, the, the job at hand. So where I think I've found this very difficult, especially as Justin and I have started, or Justin started it, and he, he was gracious enough to let me jump on with him, where I found it difficult to try to put the fandom aside and try to look at things maybe a little bit more, um, you know, great, you know, big picture and a little bit less with my heart and a little bit more with my head is in Giants Twitter. And obviously you're, you're so intertwined with, with Giants Twitter and, and, the the mess that is Giants Twitter, especially on it seems to be Monday afternoons during football season. How do you navigate Giants Twitter and and you know for Justin and I we we have it we have it good we can we can put something out there have people look at it ignore it whether they you know do whatever they want with it and then we can just turn Twitter off and just say I don't feel like dealing with this right now like too much negativity I don't this is this is ridiculous. For somebody who's, you know, a large portion of your job is interacting with the fans and kind of putting your content out there so they can hear it and they can critique it, for lack of a better term, and create a dialogue, is it, can it be difficult to deal with these, what we'll call them trolls, as, as they're so endearingly known? Is it difficult to deal with them? Do you just tune them out? Do you think they can create actually, you know, productive dialogue at times? So how do you manage that? Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about just the pure trolls, uh, there are some, a few pure trolls. There's a big guy on Giant. There used to be a guy on Giant Twitter. I think he just keeps creating new accounts. Who's like was a big fan of John Jerry, the offensive guard, guard, and I always kept talking about that and had like his whole shtick. He had like a bunch of shticks. Eventually, for those guys, I give them a chance. I usually interact with them once, two, three times, and if they keep just you know spewing nonsense, clearly trolling or just not listening or the logic or any reason at all i just mute them and that's the power of twitter now the mute button, mm. the mute button is, the, is the greatest thing you don't have to block them just mute them and you'll never see it um and so that's how i interact with just a very few that's to me that's a very select few i believe that some people who maybe consider trolls on giant twitter or i wouldn't consider them a troll i believe they're just very passionate about about what they believe and they believe things are black and white and i tried to make it clear on twitter that you know, nothing is ever black and white. And that's especially true with the Eli Manning situation where it appears to me that, you know, some people don't see and won't recognize and won't consider a gray area with Eli Manning. He's either the worst quarterback in the NFL or he's the best quarterback who just needs an offensive line and just needs this and that to win another Super Bowl. And the problem with that is it, I mean, not the problem, but it really, it reminds me a lot of the political landscape in this, in this country, you know, People are just not open to – there's some people who are just not even open to considering other possibilities um, when it comes to, you know, different things in life. And, and that's the same on Giants Twitter, I believe. So, you know, I just try to interact with them and just try to give a rational take to whatever they're saying. And that's all I can do. I feel like 
Justin, we've talked about on this on this podcast before, especially throughout the season. Um, it seems like every every episode we have about a ten minute segment dedicated to Eli Manning. No matter how hard we're going to try to keep it not about Eli Manning, you know, we we do have a lot of differences. But I feel like that's one thing we've talked about a lot is the ability to realize that there is a gray area with Eli Manning. I don't believe that Eli Manning is 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 still the answer, and it's just an offensive line away from being, you know a 4,500-yard, 32-touchdowns, 10-pick guy. But I do believe you can still be successful with him as your quarterback. He just needs a lot more around him than he might have in the past. So I think it's very important to realize that that I I think you come across a lot of fans on Twitter who do just want – they just want their, their point and their heart to be totally right. And there is no willingness to to concede any little portion of that. So I think that's something we've talked about a lot on this podcast. But for sure, I, I think I think Twitter is a Twitter's a, a minefield these days at times. So I, I'm impressed with your ability, Dan, to like keep the keep the trolls at bay, the ones that really just wanna just wanna be heard, and also be very interactive and very reachable on Twitter. I've I've that's something I really do appreciate. So I just want to make that known. That that's appreciated by common fans the the writers who are willing to interact and not just shut down ideas from from people who only have like 70 followers so it's appreciated trust me i'm a big i appreciate that you appreciate that because you know what david um i think that you know it's very funny i got i I was in you know the giants are an old school organization and they really just like to limit uh the media access to those old school beat uh, r- uh beat writers i guess you would call them whatever i mean i would consider myself that but the newspaper writers so you know but i had a chance to get in this summer at training camp and it's really interesting to be there and just see the the lack of camaraderie the lack of friendliness the lack of it's just pure competition between the beat writers they don't want to see anybody new in there they always feel uncomfortable for where they stand with their jobs and whatnot and i do get that because of the industry unfortunately where that's at but at the same time I believe that shouldn't, at the very least, that shouldn't extend to the fans. And I do see that a lot um, with some of the reporters. I think that's, you know, I'm not going to mention any names or anything, but I, I do understand that, 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 that feeling. And, you know, that I've tried to be the opposite of that. I've tried to interact with as many people as I can on Giants Twitter for that exact reason. Yeah, that's and awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, and you, and you, uh, you mentioned kind of like our, our current climate, our current social climate and I think a, a a word that a word that you can kind of say is is bias, right? Like Dave mentioned, like people either want their heart to be right, you know, and that and they're gonna stick with that. They're gonna stick with their guns rather than seeing things kind of we on on from an unbiased lens, um, where it's like you simply just want to see what's best for the team rather than you want your own opinion to be right. One of the things that I've admired about you and the way that you really look at this through is you look at this through stats, you look at this through how players and how teams perform. And that's why, you know, viewing the game from your lens of how is this player actually performing rather than your emotional attachments to somebody, that's how you evaluate them. And I, and I feel like that's something that a lot of fans can't do. It's not something that I could fully do because, you know, I just don't have the, I, I don't have the the time or the, or the means I'm getting there. I'm getting there as, as I watch football more, but that's something that I really admire that you do that you look at the performance aspect of it and then you like form your opinion as you really should well thank you all right i wanted to um i wanted to ask you about because you've been you've been with pro football focus have you been with pro football focus since pretty much kind of like the beginning uh not since the beginning of pff but since close to the beginning of when they did started the fantasy side of it 
Okay. All right. Because there's been a there's been a lot of fans and a, and a lot of different podcasts that I've listened to that have questioned like Pro Football Focus grades and how much can you really get out of a of a a, a grade, especially when a football a lot of it is you know when the camera's not on you or even like let's say if Beckham has ten two catches for ten yards that type of performance could have just as much just as much of a significance as to when he has 12 catches, 99 yards and two touchdowns. So pulling a grade from there can be kind of tough and what does that actually mean? So I kind of want to hear your opinion on the importance of stats in football and analytics um, especially as somebody who's been there for over six years. Tell us your, tell us your perspective and why they're important for fans to look at if they don't necessarily understand the the uh, the intricacies of the game. Yeah, I think like with anything in life, um, analytics have their place, just like game film, what we try to do, me and uh, Nick over at Big Blue Banter Podcast, have their place, but you have to, you know, mix in, mix in both and you have to take a little bit of both. And, you know, there are a lot of things that I've, through working with PFF for so long, there's some things that I've found are more predictive than others. For example, if a running back uh, can force missed tackles at a higher rate and create yards after contact at a higher rate, he, there, there's a, he has a good chance of becoming the next breakout player at his position. I've seen this happen over and over uh, with some of the, football, the guys who will really stand out on a limited basis of snaps uh, and carries and touches at the running back position from one year to the next. And now, the, now when as far as you look at the grades, as far as the grades go, there are some drawbacks to PFF's grades in the sense that, okay, they may – they, no, they may not. They don't know the assignment of every player on every play, hmm. which is a drawback. But I think you have to take, you know, you have to look at it. You have to take everything. Um, I guess the best way to look at it is there's different positions that, you know, are probably easier to grade than others. For example, a cornerback, you can look at snaps, uh, coverage, you know, yards per route run, yards per snap. And that's a good way to find out how he's doing on the field. Offensive linemen can be a little difficult because they don't know the, the assignment. But as far as pass protection goes, you can that you can kind of feel as long as the defense is not running a stunt, you can see how well they're doing in their individual matchups. And Pro Football Focus has been very accurate if you look over the t- last ten years at assigning grades to offensive linemen vis-a-vis what these offensive linemen are actually getting paid by NFL teams, and they match up the big contracts match up very mm. well with grades. And that 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 could tell you alone if you believe that you know that maybe they're along the right track there. But like I said earlier, it really comes down to um, you know, a mix of both analytics and game film. For example, you know, Dave Gettleman is a general manager who believes that he he sees something in offensive linemen that helps him evaluate guys who can take that next step at the next level. And in the end, when you're going from college to the NFL, and obviously the draft is eventually the be-all, end-all, in my opinion, in creating a successful football roster, you will not have long, long-term sustained success unless you win in the draft. And you know he's he's has a good track record of finding these develop these developmental linemen. And one thing you can't do is project college to the pros because it's not just about the stats at all, and it's not just about the grades at all. Because every single college player is playing different competition every week, um, and some of the some of their competition is very vastly different than than the others. So I believe that again, it's just a mix of kind of factoring in both. We're going to be mindful of your time. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to do kind of two different things to kind of. Uh wrap up within our within our last few minutes. We're going to do some lightning round questions, which Dave's going to take that. Then we're also going to do a word association game. All right? Good. All right. David, you're up. All right. So, you know, they don't have to be, they don't have to be that fast. But <laughs> first thing that comes to your mind, 
uh, Justin and I in our last episode just did we did a, a segment about our favorite Giants games of the last you know 10, 15 years, regular season games. Uh, you can include playoffs in this, make it make your life easier. Favorite Giants game of all time. Ah, uh, well, for, including playoffs or no? Uh, let we can include playoffs, exclude Super Bowls. I'll exclude Super Bowls. If you're excluding Super Bowls, I would say it was uh, the the Giants win over the Falcons at home during the 2011 Super Bowl run when they won awesome. 24 to two. Yeah, just because I was there at that game with my brother, with my dad, with my mom. A rare occurrence. We never really got to go fully as a family, and I'd never seen a Giants home game at that stadium at MetLife, at least uh, as 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 rocking as loudly. And I think it was that moment during that season where it clicked like this team could be very, very special. They were coming together at the right time. They were healthy at the right time and they were playing really good team football at the right time. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I think we were both at that game too. We, we, we were that, both, right? we, we were both, both at too. that game and there's something about those damn towels that makes yeah. everybody go insane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a really, really good game. One of the, one of the more complete games I think I've ever seen the giants play in person. Okay. So we were going to say favorite player, you know, favorite giants player of all time, but, we already heard you say it was Eli. So we're gonna I'm gonna ask you favorite player other than Eli. Oh, my favorite player other than Eli is Justin Tuck. I love what he stood for. I loved how he played both sides of the ball. I mean, both both ways, run defense, and he was a pass rusher as well. He could line up at the tackle at the end, scheme versatile. So I'm gonna go with Justin Tuck. I actually think I just saw um I don't know if either of you saw this. Justin Tuck is a is a is a big um behind the scenes guy for the AAF. Yeah, not only is that, he's a VP at Goldman Sachs. What, really? Yeah, he's been there. He's working there for about a year now. What does this man not do? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, he's, he, you could always tell all, you know, off the field. He, he's very well-spoken, really, really seems to have his act together. Funniest moment on the field during training camp? Uh, I think it was when uh, Curtis Riley – this was from last training camp, when Curtis Riley and – actually, it was William Gay who got cut before the end of the season, but he was a veteran was with them during, with the Giants during camp uh, when they would, they would force each other to do push-ups every time, I guess they blew an assignment or anything went wrong basically in the secondary. And there was one point where there was a really bad play where they both kind of messed up and they challenged, they both had to do the push-ups and push-ups and they uh, kept going back and forth and making fun of each other's form and whatnot. And it was, it was a funny moment for the fans. Dan, Dan, you don't have to, you don't have to comment on this if you want, but Curtis Riley if if that was a practice that went on for the entire season, Curtis Riley should be as big as Arnold Schwarzenegger right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I, I I started to laugh immediately after you said that because the the irony in that, like every time Curtis, like you would think, okay, Landon Collins has to do pushups every time he messes up a secondary assignment. Okay, so he, he's he's doing maybe like okay, like a decent a, a decent amount of pushups because everybody messes up every once in a while. But Curtis Riley, his 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 arms would fall off. <laughs> yeah. Well, this this podcast is very familiar with Justin's feelings of Curtis Riley. So, so if anybody is curious why he's speaking so yeah. candidly right now, just go listen, you know, any episode of the last couple yeah. of months. Jeez. <laughs> um, let's see. Most impressive player you've ever seen behind the scenes. So just like awe inspiring, just the talent, it, like, you know, oozing out of him, you know, that maybe you don't even see on Sundays necessarily. Um, I think that would be Evan Ingram. I had a chance to, uh, <laughs> interview him and see him during his football camp uh, this past summer. It was in uh, Passaic in New Jersey. And he, actually, it was somewhere in Bergen County. I'm not actually – I don't remember exactly where. But he was running drills with the kids and having fun. And just in person, 
He just has a really interesting body type. He doesn't look like a tight end, but he looks like a huge wide receiver. But when he gets going, he is so fast with that second and third gear. So to me, he was the most impressive person I've seen behind the scenes. That's interesting. I feel that's not who I thought you were going to say, so I'm glad I asked it. Let's see. Okay, so this is more to, more to the Twitter end of things. So we'll keep this to Giants Twitter related. Strangest tweet or DM you've ever gotten? Um, I had a I had a guy who who came to me with information that the Giants were targeting Davis Webb before the draft when they did draft Webb, and I didn't go with it because I, I you know I I didn't know who he was. He was claiming all this stuff, working, at, working friends with the Giants scout, whatnot, and then it came true. And okay, he comes back to me next year around the, during the regular season with information that they were going to fire McAdoo. And I made the mistake. This is one of my biggest mistakes, I believe, since, you know, with my career of going with that information. And it was about, I guess it was like six days before the Raiders game when they fired him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from what I from what he told me and I and I trusted him because it wasn't the only person who I had heard it from. Um, and so, and so he was kind of like the icing, he was kind of like the icing on the cake because it given me something before I didn't go with, and other people were telling me this was going to happen. And, you know, it was a matter of that, you know, 24, 48 hours. And I went with that and I was obviously wrong. They fired him like six days later or whatnot. And it was just strange to me to have somebody come to me, you know, with this information and for no reason, that's why the first time I passed and the second time I went with it, but I still regret having gone with the second time because I think in this business, um, it's important to have like. If you're going to go with anything like this, you got to have three or four strong sources. Uh, and, you know, obviously that's something that, you know, you learn as you go with this. Yeah, I can't imagine how difficult that is. I feel like, like, I feel like if Justin came to me one day and, and you know, if I was writing for the Giants and Justin came to me and said, I have this information, I'd have a really hard time trusting him. I don't know. I feel like I would have severe trust issues if I was, if I was a member of the media. Yeah. yeah I, I, would have a, I would have a hard time believing me too. <laughs> <laughs> I probably I would probably just hear someone wrong because I have trouble hearing. I have trouble seeing. I'm a mess. I'm just a mess. <laughs> all right, uh, th- those are all the questions I got for you. So I'm gonna I'm gonna allow you to to take your thinking cap off. But just this this is harder in my opinion. Justin's right. game's harder. Word association game. We're gonna give you a player, a figure, something Giants related. You have to tell us the first word or phrases that come to mind. All right. right. We'll warm you up, Eli Manning. Uh, hmm. misrepresented. I like that. MetLife Stadium. Terrible design. Mm. <laughs> ben McAdoo. Um, in over his head. Jerry Reese. Uh, it's one word, or I can do a phrase. Phrases, yeah. Bad philosophy. Matt Dodge. <laughs> <laughs> Depressing. Eli Apologis. Uh, a bit out of touch with reality. <laughs> All right. Bruce Springsteen. Solid. Odell Beckham Jr. trade rumors. Stupid. The University of Minnesota. Safety school. <laughs> <laughs> and like last it. but not least, the 2019 Giants season. Uh, could be better than people think. All right. That's my favorite answer he gave. <laughs> That's gonna be great. I'm not right. that far off. Not not that not that far off. I don't. I mean, we'll see what happens at quarterback. That's gonna obviously shape the season. There's a lot of talent on this team. I feel like people just There's forget talent it. on the team, but they have 
some certain they certainly have deficiencies on the defensive side of the ball, and they're not really getting above average quarterback play, which is, makes it hard to win in the NFL. Speaking actually, really quick before we let you go. Speaking of which, there's just a lot of talk right now because of of the um, franchise tag day coming. Yeah. Um, Landon Collins, where where do you see that going? They're gonna do the. I think they're gonna do the exact same thing they did with Jason Pierre-Paul. They're gonna tag him, buy some time to con to negotiate the contract, and then re-sign him for a long-term deal in August. I think that would make the most sense. So I like the sound of that. Definitely see that happening. Yeah. All right, Dave. Any other final thoughts besides Landon Collins? Not, not really, Dan. I appreciate you coming on. Um, it was a lot of fun for sure. Yeah, I really appreciate it. It's, it's, it's really, it's like we've said this already uh, in this interview, but I, I. I really do appreciate your um, dedication to Twitter, giving up, you know, giving giving some people a time of day that other people don't. And I also appreciate your 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 way of way of analyzing the game, not just not just being a talking head about it, actually analyzing it. It's appreciated. So well, appreciate you coming on, and hoping you do it again soon. No doubt, for sure. Dan, do you have any final thoughts? No, no, nothing more to add. Plug right. yourself one. Plug yourself one more time for us. Yeah, so if you guys liked, if you liked hearing this or want to hear more Giants X's and O's, uh, go ahead and you can read, find me on Twitter at Dan Schneier NFL, D A N S E H N E I E R NFL, and be sure to follow the podcast on iTunes. Big Blue Banter. All right, sounds great. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dan. Once again, enjoy the off season. Enjoy your time. Enjoy getting ready for the draft. Um, and uh, that's all I got to say about that. So uh, keep on bleeding blue, everybody. That's all you got to do. We'll see you with some more interviews, some Yankee interviews, some more Giant interviews as the offseason goes on. Go Yankees, go Yankees, go Yankees, go Giants, go Giants, go Giants. Peace out. Have a great week.